0: today at uh, Stephen full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom will you pray with me a moment gracious Lord as we think about Stephen full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom we pray that you would teach us what we need to know that we would be inspired by that same Holy Spirit and get a touch of the wisdom as well we pray in Jesus name Mm. Amen well we all want our life to count for something don't we And one of the great tragedies of life is when a a life is just snatched away and you go, that's just too early. And in our journey through the book of Acts, we come now to a great man whose life seems just like that, snatched away too early. And it's Stephen, a man full of faith, a man of the full of the Holy Spirit, an outstanding man with so much to offer. I mean, this is a man you'd love to have as the leader of your, your flock for years and years, a man who could have done so many great things for his people. Identity-wise, he was a Hellenistic Jew, so that's the term for Jews who lived in other countries, um, particularly where uh, there was a Greek influence, and they only visited Jerusalem from time to time. This guy Stephen, he was very devout, he knew his Bible, he knew his scriptures very well and somewhere along the line he became a believer. He was not an apostle but he was prayed for and had hands laid on him by the apostles. And initially he was given a specific job but he was bigger than the job and his giftings and his abilities extended far beyond that initial job. So, we're going to look at Stephen in Acts chapter 6, and you can follow through in your scriptures if you have them there, or you can uh, see how we go up on the big screen. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews amongst them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. There's the problem. So, the twelve gathered all the disciples together and they said, It wouldn't be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word in order to wait on tables. So here's the solution. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom and we'll turn this responsibility over to them and then we can give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. And they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. Solution done. Result. So the word of God spread. And the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So you see from that that the apostles had appointed Stephen and six others to take care of a problem with the Hellenistic widows being overlooked in the daily food distribution. And remember that by this stage, there are already now thousands of believers. And so this would be a big job. The guys who were appointed all had Hellenistic names. So I suppose the apostles are reasoning, well, it's Hellenistic widows. Well, we'll get people who uh, uh, have Hellenistic names because they'll look after their own kind. And of the seven, apart from Stephen, you only got Philip who gets a mention anymore in the Bible. And I take note at this point that passing on this particular task to spiritually gifted men was important. For the spread of the gospel because when the Apostles were able to give their attention back to prayer and ministry of the word as well as these guys looking after that aspect we see what the result was so the word of God spread and the number of disciples increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith and that's an interesting little line at the end there a large number of priests became obedient to the faith And so what that means, amongst other things, is that Christianity is moving from the general masses, the common people, it's moving into mainline religious structures, it's moving into the establishment. And priests, from the point of view of the high priest, priests who should have been given their allegiance to the high priest, are now giving their allegiance to Jesus. And with large numbers of these guys going over, you can imagine how furious the high priest and his buddies would become as they saw their power being taken away from them. And there's more, of course. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs amongst the people. Great wonders and signs. He was a great man of God. He was full of grace and power, and he was enabled by the Holy Spirit to perform many great wonders and signs. And so if you haven't thought much about Stephen before, I commend him to you as a significant guy. And a guy with added bonuses. the powerful and wise preacher. So <clears throat> he is a Hellenist, so he's naturally going to start off talking with other uh, Hellenists. Uh, around the synagogues in that area. So wh- what, did, what did we have there? Well, think about this. One of the reasons the Jews came to Jerusalem from time to time was the temple. There's only one temple. And so if you're in another country, you can't get to the temple. So what did they do? Build synagogues. So there would be a place for the Jews to gather and to study the, the law and the prophets. And also there are many synagogues in Jerusalem itself. And so Stephen's taking the message to members particularly the Hellenistic synagogues, but it's a confronting message. And Acts 6.9 opposition arose from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called. Jews, here's the locations of Cyrene, Alexandria, as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, that's where Tarsus is the capital of Cilicia, and they began to argue with Stephen. How good were they? They couldn't stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. And so you've got the three synagogues from here uh, representing different cultures and language, and you might have thought, well, who are the freedmen? Well, they're most likely descendants of Jewish slaves who were carried off to Rome by Pompey in 63 BC. After a while, they got their freedom, And they formed a community in Rome. And they also, some of them came back and and formed communities in Jerusalem. And who else is connected here? They've got Simon, the guy who was conscripted to carry Jesus' cross. He came from Cyrene. Then you have the powerful preacher Apollos from Alexandria. And Saul of Tarsus was from Cilicia and probably attended their synagogue from time to time. So what's he doing in the synagogue? <coughs> Some translations talk about that arguing with Stephen as disputing and it's a fairly formal term, like a formal debate. So he's in there, he's doing pretty formal debates and no doubt using Old Testament references to prove that Jesus was the Messiah, Messiah and no one could stand up against his arguments. Well, they couldn't do that, so what, what do you do? if you can't win an argument fairly but you still don't want to accept that they might be true, what do you do? Dirty trick number one, make up stuff. So they secretly persuaded some men to say, we've heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. Yeah, you see, if your mind's already made up, you don't keep listening. In case there's more to learn, no. so I know enough. You dig yourself into position, and then you launch bombs at those who disagree with you. In other words, you don't continue to talk openly about the issue. Meaningful discussion is lost. You're right, and they're wrong. And the sooner they realize it, the better. Hmm. So that's part of what they're doing here. But what's the big issue they're bringing up? blasphemy is the core of the problem you see the jews they were very religious people they are dinkum about their faith. they had a very religious view of god but it was very nailed down it was carefully guarded it was very well defined and, and anyone who claimed to be god had to be evaluated against their checklist and if you didn't tick all the boxes you were considered a blasphemer so Jesus' claimed to be the Messiah didn't match their carefully protected view of what the Messiah should be. And therefore, they felt very justified in calling his claim to be the Messiah and calling that blasphemy. And we'll, we'll look at that. Think back to when Jesus was brought before the council of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of law, and they, they asked him, if you are the Messiah, they said, tell us. Well, Jesus answered in such a way that they understood that he was claiming to be the Son of God. Jesus answered, if I tell you, you won't believe me. And if I asked you, you wouldn't answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. They all asked him, are you then the Son of God? He replied, well, you say that I am. And that sealed the issue as far as they were concerned. They said, well, why do we need any more testimony? We've heard it from his own lips. That's Luke's version of it. And what about in John? John's version. The Jewish leaders insisted we have a law, and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the Son of God, which is what they considered blasphemy. You go over (coughs) to Matthew's Gospel. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Because the high priest is trying to, at that point, get proof of blasphemy out of of him. And what's Jesus saying? You have said so, Jesus replied. But I say to all of you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. And when we get back to Stephen, just remember this way that Jesus proves he is the Messiah by saying he will sit alongside God the Father. Well, then the high priest tore his clothes and said he's spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look, now you have heard the blasphemy. And then we'll see what all the Jewish leaders thought about blasphemy. What happened to blasphemers? What do you think? He is worthy of death, they answered. And so with that background, which shows just how seriously the Jews considered blasphemy, we note that the way to stir up serious opposition against Stephen, who they couldn't defeat in, in debate, was to falsely accuse him of blasphemy. And it had the desired result. Oops, too many. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law, they seized Stephen, they brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified this fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law, for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. That's the accusation, and then we have a very illuminating voice at verse all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and they saw that his face shone like the face of an angel. And as the story goes on, we're going to see two groups of people with opposing opinions and very different faces. And our invitation is to consider those faces because, you know, a face is usually a mirror of the soul. Any of us who've got kids know that you can tell a lot about what they're thinking by what's on their faces. What's inside normally is expressed and mirrored there. And if you're peaceful within, your face is going to look different from whether you have rage or frustration within. And in our story, we've got Stephen, the representative of God, has a face like the face of an angel. Wonder what that means for you. It Means it's pure. It's calm it's unruffled and it reflects the presence of God and from a face like that from that place Stephen then goes into a long sermon describing how he came to his point of view and you'll be glad to know we're not going to go through the whole long sermon now. (laughs) And he displays a wonderful knowledge of the Old Testament scriptures and understanding of how they apply to Jesus. But if you take the time to work through this long sermon, you'll see that Stephen has a point to what he is doing as he tells the story. He's establishing from the law and the prophets that the Jews have a very long history of rejecting people who are going to save them. Rejecting prophets which the Lord sends, even killing prophets. And he is chillingly confrontational in a historical analysis, which starts at the beginning and only gets to Solomon before they've had enough. And let see what his conclusion is. You stiff-necked people. Your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. I haven't had the flesh cut out of them <clears throat> you are just like your ancestors you always resist the Holy Spirit was there ever a prophet your ancestors didn't persecute they even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one and now you've betrayed and murdered him and you have re- you who have received the law that was given through angels but have not obeyed it so we've seen Stephen's face. Let's see what are the faces of the members of the Sanhedrin. And when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. Let's not underestimate the fury of those who will not accept that Jesus is the Messiah. Because in your Christian walk, you may somewhere from time to time, run into such fury. And the point is, don't be surprised. Don't wonder what you did wrong. Don't think it's in you. The problem is not in you. It's in them. And remember this episode and marvel at the hopelessness of these furious people out of control. Do you realize that hell is a place of fury? Satan is furious because he knows one day his time will end people are furious because they haven't been able to live their life the way they want to without consequences and in the book of Revelation as God pours out multiple punishments on humanity in order to get them to repent all that happens is they get more furious when the seven bowls of wrath are poured out in Revelation 16 what's the reaction They were seared by the intense heat and they cursed the name of God who had control over these plagues but they refused to repent and glorify him. People gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven because of their pains and and sores but they refused to repent of what they had done. And they cursed God on account of the plague of hail because the plague was so terrible. Jesus talked about that fury in Matthew 13 and he was saying there that the way into the kingdom of heaven is through a narrow door and encourages them to look for the narrow door. But for those who don't, and here he was at that time mainly talking to the self-righteous Jews, he said, for those who don't, there will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth. It's fury. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourself thrown out. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil and they will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's not all bad though because then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their fathers. Whoever has ears, let them hear. They've you Ever been as furious as the Sanhedrin were on that day? So to get to the fury of grinding your teeth? I don't handle facing such fury very well. I don't handle people getting upset with me very well. And so I'm absolutely in awe of Stephen at that moment because he can see those faces, he can hear the voices. He can feel the injustice of the false accusations. But in that moment, he is so connected with the Lord that he receives what sometimes is called a martyr's blessing, an extra special experience or strengthening from the Holy Spirit. And he literally has a heavenly perspective on what's happening to him in that moment. for God lets him see right into heaven. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus, standing at the right hand of God. He's not sitting now, he's standing. Look, he says, I see heaven open and the Son of man standing at the right hand of God. And you remember, Jesus claimed that he would be seated at the right hand of God. And Stephen, re- when Stephen repeats that claim, from what his eyes are seeing now, that Jesus is at the right hand of God, which means he is God, that's the so-called blasphemy, which led them to crucify Jesus. And now they're going to, They're off onto him. Because Stephen's reminding them of what they call blasphemy when Jesus said it. And that just tips the fury into action. And interesting to note, Jesus is not seated anymore. He's got up as though he's getting ready to receive his beloved son into glory. At this They covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices. They all rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city and they began to stone him. And we're brought back to where I started this message, to what appears to be a senseless waste of a most amazing man of God. A relatively young man with so much more to give the world is obliterated in the malevolent fury of sinners. But it's a pivotal point in Christian history. And we're reminded that God always has a bigger plan. First, he gets to promote Stephen to glory earlier. Second, he starts the spread of the gospel to the whole world from this point. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And thirdly, he fixes the martyrdom of Stephen into the heart and mind of the person, the next person, who has chosen to take the gospel to the rest of the world, Saul of Tarsus. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. At that moment, when he's unrepentant, Saul's gladly participating in what is considered just the right thing to do with blasphemers. But you wonder... As he thinks back, after he got converted, and he thinks back to this time, you wonder that he must have recognised, as he thinks about it, where that face like an angel came from that he saw. Recognize the wonderful capacity. He now knows where it came from from Jesus, the capacity to preach and teach and perform signs and wonders. And you wonder, in his regenerated state, how he was affected by Stephen's last words in Acts 8 there. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Do not hold this, Lord. Do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. Jesus had said the same thing on the cross, hadn't he? Father, Forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And how challenging are those words. Stephen forgave his abusers. He forgave those who persecuted him for his belief, because he could see past the twisted faces of fury right into heaven. He could see, therefore, the ultimate reality, the truth that Jesus was the Messiah, that there is more to life than just our time in our earthly bodies. He could see into eternity, and he went there on his own terms. Stephen prayed, Lord, receive my spirit. And he went there without any stain of resentment, of unforgiveness. With any fury, he went without any fury at the unfair treatment he'd received. He carried no burden of unforgiveness into glory. When he said, as he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold their sin against them. What challenging words. And in the words of Jesus, after he told the story of the Good Samaritan, go and do likewise. We've met a, met a great, great man of God today, in Stephen. And I wonder what part of his story has been for you. Was he snatched away too early? Or did he accomplish exactly what the Lord wanted him to accomplish? In which case, are we happy to accept whatever the Lord has laid out for us, just as Stephen did? For Stephen's martyrdom was an example repeated many times over the centuries. It accomplished the spreading of the gospel and linked in with the apostle to the non-Jewish world, Saul, who became Paul. And there's a saying about this in church history. that I just flashed up a moment ago, that the blood of the martyrs is seed. Because when people saw how Christians went to their death, When they saw the serenity and the miracles which the Holy Spirit often bestowed upon them at their martyrdom, they recognized that the message about Jesus had to be true because no one else died like the Christians with hope in their hearts and the certainty of eternity on their faces. And if you've ever wondered why sometimes really bad people are not executed, it's because world leaders understand that if they kill their enemy and then make them into a martyr publicly, But nothing inspires more revolution like an unfairly executed leader. And maybe Satan understands that making martyrs by Christians by unfairly killing them publicly actually harms his cause and doesn't do it as much. But he does like to do it in secret. But Stephen also shows us what it looks like to have a life full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. In his case, led to brilliant debating skills powerful preaching signs and wonders it leads to glory on the faces the glory of god shone on the faces of people filled with the holy spirit and it can also lead to such a thorough understanding of the human condition that you can see right through the behaviours of abusive people to their ignorance and the emptiness in their hearts, to the fact that they don't understand the, the blindness of their understanding, the wrong thinking which makes them do what they do and find it possible to do what Stephen did for them because they didn't understand how they got to be there. For they did not understand that everything they're looking for out of life is found only in Jesus the Messiah, only by going through the narrow gate of trusting in Jesus alone for salvation. And if you're furious that Jesus claims to be the way, the truth and the life, you can either accept it or go to your grave angry, furious, in a blind rage, gnashing your teeth like the members of the Sanhedrin who just covered their ears raised their voices, covered their ears so they couldn't hear the truth and rushed out to stone him. If you stay furious, you'll end up with all the other furious people in the home of fury, hell. What does your face look like? What would you like it to look like? I don't know about you, I would much prefer my face to look like Stephen's face and to look like a member of the Sanhedrin's face. Will you pray with me? Gracious Lord, Stephen is an amazing man of God. He knew so much of you and you blessed him with our insight into heaven itself. And we pray that we would learn from his life what? We need to learn this day that your Holy Spirit will apply it to us, empower us to be like him, to go to glory without any carrying any burdens of resentment, of unforgiveness, and to reflect upon our faces the glory of God within us. Amen and hallelujah.